Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before I introduce our guest today, I'd like to remind our listeners to follow us on Twitter, where we pre-stream each episode on Twitter Spaces the day before publishing on all major podcast platforms. For the platform list, visit our website, blockchainrecorded.com. In addition, Blockchain Recorded Podcast is a proud media partner of the upcoming Blockdown Portugal and Istanbul Blockchain Week events. For further event information, speakers, and ticket details with available discounts, check blockdownconf.com and istanbulblockchainweek.com. This episode is dedicated to the Web3 Stronger Together Ecosystem Initiative and its first virtual summit, which took place between March 1st and March 4th, 2023 in Evelyn's Metaverse, a virtual platform uniting several hundred Web3 leaders and thinkers, over 100 projects and speakers, and over 5,000 attendees from across the world. The purpose of Web3 Stronger Together, with which Blockchain Recorded is a proud media partner, is to demonstrate to the crypto community that the Web3 ecosystem is strong, solidary, active, and committed to furthering innovation, despite the status of the market and nature of price speculations. It emphasizes the importance of fairness, inclusivity, diversity, and sustainability to furthering healthy Web3 fundamentals. The summit included many panel discussions with assigned topics, which Blockchain Recorded is redistributing in audio form. The first panel discussion on March 2nd and 10th panel overall talks about the rise of DeFi and disrupting traditional financial institutions. The speakers were Michael Curtis, Senior Product Manager at BCB Group, Kirill Michinin, CEO and founder of InfoDriver Capital, Kevin Riedel, founder and CEO of Webect.io, and Karen Shudlow, the CMO of Fiat24. The speakers first define DeFi in more depth and speak about the role of smart contracts. They further discuss advantages and the value of DeFi, use cases, and opinions on trends on the market and technology side, in addition to shedding light on how DeFi will coexist with traditional finance. The following is the panel's discussion hosted by Laurent Perello, the leader behind the Web3 Stronger Together ecosystem initiative. We do apologize for potential audio drops due to choppy internet connections. We edited the recording to the best of our ability. Welcome Karen, Michael and Kevin for this uh, Web3 Stronger Together Virtual Summit Day 2. First panel discussion, we will uh, talk about the rise of DeFi, how uh, it's disrupting traditional finance institution, if it's really doing it, if it's it will come in the future. So welcome again. Karen, could you uh, quickly introduce yourself and please, as I ask to each speaker, why are you involved in Web3? So first of all, thanks for the invitation. It's so nice to be joining this panel about DeFi and it's really nice to be part of this virtual event and summit. So I'm currently acting as CMO at Fiat24. We're based in Switzerland and maybe I'll just give a little intro to what we do and then I'll touch on why I do what I do. 
But Fiat 24 is the first core banking concept to be built entirely on the blockchain. We're on Ethereum layer two. And why we do that is because we believe that digital currencies will impact the world in terms of innovation, efficiency, and global equality. And we really aim to be the leading tool in crypto spending. And we really aim to bring this new digital asset class to the masses as a real world payment solution. And we are regulated, so we bring it in a way that bridges the gap between CFI and DeFi. Personally, why I do what I do is because I'm really passionate about Web3 and everything that it can offer. I think Web2 has offered us a lot of great things, like a lot of great opportunities to be content creators, but we're definitely not owners. I think we don't even realize the extent to which we've handed over so much of our data and control to these global corporations. And if there's just a possibility that we can kind of control more, not only our digital identities, but what we're creating, what we're putting out there, that's a wonderful thing. And yeah, cryptocurrencies can really solve a lot of other issues in the world, but I guess we'll touch on that later. Thank you, uh, Karen. Kevin, welcome. Yeah, first of all, also thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure uh, being on here today and really excited for this discussion. So um, thanks everyone for joining too. Yeah, short about me. I'm coming from the startup world on a small web-free software agency. So as you might guess, I'm a, a smart contract engineer, actually myself originally. And I also founded or own a small piece of a traditional finance company that is, let's say, works in a data analytics area of uh, measuring bonds and stocks. And yeah, why am I doing this? Basically coming from that traditional finance angle, I just see, uh, especially in the last couple of one, two years, I saw a shift from those uh, traditional finance people actually being excited about crypto themselves. And that's just crazy for me, right? And that gave me personally a lot of, let's say, motivation to pursue that field even more than I did before. And just, let's say, regaining some ownership, you know, what, what was basically the original thought behind all of this. So thank you and welcome, Michael. Hi everyone, welcome again. Well, thank you, and um, thank you for hosting uh, me today, and thank you to Kevin and Karen for for engaging in this conversation. Super excited to be here. So I'm Michael. I lead a product here for BCB within our markets division, which straddles two worlds. One is trading, and the other one is uh, yield, and in particular with a focus on DeFi. So BCB Group is uh, the world's leading uh, crypto payment service provider, serving many of the largest in the industry. Uh, we provide over 30 uh, currencies for FX, uh, cryptocurrency, um, liquidity, digital asset custody, yield and Blink. And Blink is essentially BCB's free instant assessments network for its ecosystem. So originally it was spun up in 2017 as a response to corporate and institutional demand for essential infrastructure within payments for digital asset, uh, asset markets. And uh, yeah, we've been growing since. Welcome again. Yeah, no, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. So, guys, we can now start to dive on today's uh, discussion, the rise of DeFi and uh, how it can disrupt or it's disrupting the traditional finance. But before starting about uh, debating about this, who would bring is our, our definition of DeFi? What do, do we mean by uh, DeFi? We want to start. Karen, um, what's, sure. what is your definition? 
of DeFi. We know it's decentralized finance, but what does it mean? How is it different than uh, the traditional finance? Well, I think that with when it comes to DeFi, I think at the core of it is really eliminating the intermediaries. So I think maybe we've all had the kind of experience already. Maybe if you want to do something like even something simple as crowdfunding using one of these platforms like Kickstarter, there's always like this intermediary in between. Everyone takes a fee and you kind of are dependent on the middleman. And I think at the heart of DeFi is taking out the middleman and just connecting people to do kind of peer-to-peer transactions so that it's cheaper and more efficient and perhaps more secure. So Thank you, uh, Karen. Kevin, as a smart contract developer, could you explain to people the role of the smart contract and in DeFi in simple world uh, to our global uh, audience? Because we, we don't talk only to, to web free people, we, we want also to engage people. And because we all talk about uh, inclusivity, mass adoption, uh, we don't want only to talk about it, but we want to do it, to contribute to do it. So let's talk also to all people who are not uh, really familiar to the role of smart contract in DeFi. And Kirill just join us. Hello, Kirill. Yeah, sure. I will try to keep it simple. As Kevin already said, DeFi for me as well is removing or at least reducing those intermediaries. And what I see or heard from a lot of traditional finance people is the major advantage here is not being necessarily building some kind of trustless uh, infrastructure, although that's something most of us want, right? But more about reducing those inefficiencies, right? Having a lot of different parties that all take the cut starts with just sending money across borders, right? Starts with a simple thing like that. And smart contracts come here handy um, because what are they? It's basically code, software code on the blockchain. Sounds fancy, sounds complicated, but in the end, it's just like every other code, software code in the world as well, except that you can change it afterwards. So basically those rules, those if that happens, then this happens is transparent for everyone that understands software code, can read that and understand that. And the original creators usually can change it. And if they can, everyone knows this or is able to see that as well. And that's for me and also from a tech perspective, one of the big advantages and definitions of DeFi. Hope that you love Thank you, Kevin. Welcome, Kirill. Could you quickly introduce yourself, explain what you are doing in Web3, why you are doing, and what is your uh, personal definition of uh, DeFi? Okay. Thanks again for joining. Uh, hello, guys, and welcome, everyone. Welcome in First Online Confidence. My name is uh, Kirill Misharin. I'm the CEO and founder of Infanriver Capital. We are a Web3 investment company from UK, from UK Innovate program in London. So we bridge in centralized finance with decentralized finance. We raise in capital and classical from venture capital, private activity, and we invest in decentralized finance. My background starts uh, seven years ago. From a digital agency, it transferred to ICO agency. We raised a huge amount of uh, ICOs back in 2017. 
when we start to dig uh, technology itself, I was part of IBM Blockchain Labs back in the days, and we built a huge amount of supply chain solution from Myers to DHL. And then later on, I decided that the only use cases which really market needs to, it's decentralized finance. This is the same layer of finances, but more easy to connect with uh, digital assets. So you could get a loan or you could raise uh, your campaign of issuing token. It's two different ways, but still it, it uh, gives you opportunity to run your project, to run your startup. That's why I'm here. I'm glad to share my experience. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks to you. Michael, uh, yeah. excuse me, your vision of DeFi and how it could or it's concretely already disrupting uh, the traditional finance and how it is disrupting if it's the case. Yeah, I mean, this is coming back to what Karen and Kevin said. Obviously, the, the ideal uh, future is uh, one of that of uh, intermediaries or centralized parties uh, completely removed from the equation. So a more peer-to-peer uh, world. But I believe we're, we're a long way from that, mostly because uh, one education across the world to be able to understand the technology that we're going to be going to be using but also um, making sure that it's provided in a safe way to to customers as well so making sure that laws are are in place that protect investors or customers is absolutely key so what has DeFi done to date well essentially what we've seen is a rise of a new asset class and particularly here at bcb uh, what we've essentially constructed is a fun product to be able to give individuals or customers of BCB exposure to the capital inflows or, uh, to DeFi so that they can earn a return. And for me, having that alongside, you know, traditional sort of fund products, whether that be equities, whether it be fixed income, uh, VC, or even commodities, it just goes to show the growth of the, uh, the growth of the industry and how much value that actually brings to the table. So the great thing about it there is that the, the asset class itself is asynchronous to the rest of the market as well as compl uh, providing completely different returns. And that's great for an individual's portfolio. It means that you're diversified a little bit and can hedge a little bit of um, your normal traditional market exposure. So it's providing, it's providing more opportunity, more choice, and that always returns this concept of consumer surplus back to the individual. And I think that's what actually DeFi represents, is their return to the power of the individual and actually receiving uh, that value. We talked about Web2 earlier, you know, how much data we've handed over to corporations or content that we've handed over to corporations without receiving our, uh, what will be our fair share. Well, DeFi has the capabilities of turning that right around, providing that to the individual in the end. So that's how I believe like DeFi is changing the world, it's ret returning that value back to the back to the end user. Karen, okay, you want to add the world? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to elaborate a little bit on what Michael was saying. So I guess it's true we can say that DeFi does replicate existing financial services that we see in traditional finance. And that includes everything from like core banking and lending and trading activities. But I think that there are many opportunities, like there's really a lot of unique ways in which, like a lot of unique attributes for DeFi, which will allow us to, as he said, like to provide a lot of different opportunities for both the um, 
for both the companies and the client side. So definitely, um, I think we can definitely um, simplify some of the processes. There's a lot of things that we can automate, of course, using smart contracts. And we can also reduce a lot of transaction costs. We can increase control to the user. And just to tell you um, like a real life use case with Fiat24, what we're doing is we're disrupting traditional finance because we really leverage the power of smart contracts, which does a lot of the work that humans traditionally do in a bank because we kind of do uh, payment services. So we can operate with very few people in our office. We rely on the technology to handle all these transactions and many of the operations which normally require a person or even multiple people to carry out. So, I mean, using blockchain technology in general, we can be more efficient. Clients can do transactions anytime across the world, across borders. And that's really different than the way that you would send money or receive money through a bank. We also have like less to spend on IT infrastructure, which is another way that we're leaner. So I think, yeah, and the benefits of DeFi are so many, whether we're talking about lending or borrowing and saving. I think DeFi can really duplicate or replicate a lot of the things that we have in traditional finance, but just more efficient. Thank you. Kirill, I understand that you invest in DeFi projects, but DeFi is a lot of things from... Uh can be a launchpad, it, it can be DEX, uh, it can be a liquid asset project. What are the use cases you are the most uh, involved in? Is there anything in particular on which you really uh, invest and entrust? You see something emerging more than the other use case in DeFi? Yes, thank you for the questions. Actually, we are pure Web3 fund. We start from DeFi. Here we go. We issue our uh, a fund token, so we create a staking algorithm. All uh, seed round investors who stake our token, uh, they generate extra token, and we supply those extra token with profit, which our fund generate. It was our first uh, step, how we was fundraising as a fund. So we later on, we uh, issue a legal a company in Panama, later on we open office in UK, later on we get in the crypto license, etc. Et but the true value of uh, DeFi is easy access to the financial assets. I am, as a founder, I just had back in the days one pager, brief explanation uh, of token economics and what value brings into the market. The more you buy my assets, the more I generate profit, the more I do back pay payment, and the more I could invest into Web3 startups. Nowadays, we became bigger and bigger, and we start to buy in, uh, real estate assets. For example, we have social pro uh, projects in, in Pennsylvania, in US, and we buy assets. We get a loan from local banks like Citizen or JP Morgan. Uh, we purchase extra house, etc., etc. And profit which we ge generate, we transfer it into crypto and put into our reward token. This is how now we structure the uh, DeFi and centralized finances which already exist, and that is why the huge potential. Regarding the investment, we are focusing on technology projects. 
For example, we invested on early stages in decentralized exchanges like Uniswap. Uh, we invest in centralized exchanges on UAE region. Right now, we are focusing on this region, like like Amerix exchange. We raised them 1.2 million dollars to build centralized exchange. So we focusing on gaming industry, which really bridge with the technology, not like extra layer of marketplace or whatever. For example, we right now get a startup from US who are doing verification on the voice. It means you could do transaction with your voice. It goods for gaming, it goods for gambling, it goods for any Web3 or um, metaverse infrastructure because it's solution itself. Doesn't need to build a lot of uh, layers of nothing that people doesn't need it. Bring a technology which helps in real life. For end customers, they are not care. Is it Web3? Is it blockchain? Is it Web2? Web1? Whatever. Give them a product which we will use. It's, it, it's well said. Give them a product they will use and that will solve a real, uh, a real problem. Kevin, what are you the most involved in, in, in DeFi? What do you believe are as the most promising parts, I personally, uh, I used to say that my grandparents were farmer. No, I'm a farmer in a, in a web free. I'm a liquidity pool uh, provider. I stake, I, I explore uh, mostly everything time to time. It's a great experience time to time, a bit less, but I love this idea that I'm a kind, simple person. I'm a kind of a, a bank. I contribute to a, a financial system. What is your point of view about, about it? Well, if I understood your question correctly, uh, you want to know from me what are some potential trends that I personally see in the Yeah, 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 right? yeah, exactly, okay. exactly, exactly. Yeah, I just can speak for myself. What I see right now and what I think, no financial advice, obviously. And no, no emoticons, and so guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, uh, rocket, uh, nothing. Uh, <laughs> no money by a bag or something like that. Well, I, I would say the whole derivatives uh, sector obviously can become huge, right? Um, just looking at the traditional market, it's one of the largest markets out there. Uh, the same applies to bonds and similar markets. And I believe the more boring Web3 gets at some point and the more properly regulated it may get, the moment it doesn't look like it, but uh, that opens the doors for more institutionals and also actually for the target group that mostly invests into those assets. So that's something that I believe can become huge from a pure market perspective. From a technology perspective, I believe, especially when it comes to, sorry, password, zero knowledge rollups, uh, which is nothing else than some kind of, uh, let's put it that way, more efficient, trustless, more scalable, a network on top of another blockchain that helps to, let's say, settle more transactions faster in a secure way. Um, these kind of things will be especially for those high volume and uh, uh, possibly even for microtransactions, uh, microtransaction markets like, uh, as Kirill said, um, GameFi, really relevant and interesting. So these kind of things, I believe, have a huge potential from a technological and market perspective. And on the other side, I would say 
What I really like is DeFi is becoming, at least in crypto itself, somewhat boring. Everyone is starting with, with game, uh, GameFi right now. Um, so there's a strong shift here, which I personally really, really like, because that means the hype is right now out there, right? or most of it, or way less hype out there. And that, I would say, creates the playground for actual real-world use cases, as Kirill also said, for products that people actually want to use, no matter if it actually involves blockchain or not. Thank you, uh, Kevin. Uh, Michael, in your opinion, what are or will be the use case or products that, uh, that will help to see a real mass adoption, a real adoption from the institutional finance actors? Because um, for now, it's humans experimenting. We can't uh, say, but voila, the institutional finance uh, actors uh, adopted uh, the DeFi. What should we do? What should we uh, create, improve in order to see this happening? I think, you know, I found myself resonating a lot with what Kevin was saying. And the way or the path I, I see this unfolding is, is it's now time for the regulators to act. Otherwise, we're going to see another Lunaterra, we're going to see another FTX unfold. And this is where I think as a global institution, this is where I feel the centralized parties are really letting, uh, letting it down because it's going to end up harming the individual at the end of the day. CBDCs, despite their very contrary views, uh, they actually could provide a gateway for regulation uh, around uh, crypto uh, blockchain technology as, as well as eventually into smart contracts uh, naturally. Um, and I completely agree. Actually, gaming is a really good user case. Uh, it's, it's, it's got retail, uh, roots there. There is it, the material exposure to the individual in terms of risk is, is, uh, is smaller, but basically we'll see all these amazing user cases erupt in, in DeFi and it will basically, it will be a exponential upwards, uh, in terms of like growth, uh, and demand. Um, the ecosystem still needs to grow, grow, uh, um, outside of its initial remit with, uh, right now it's still very closed off circle. Uh, you're interacting with other crypto firms or crypto individuals. So actually for me, the best way for mass adoption is connecting this old world to the new and being able to take real world assets and put them onto the blockchain and then having individuals face off to that. But it's our role is uh, essentially builders within this space to again, provide a very safe and easy and intuitive way. We shouldn't be thinking so much that individuals will transact using essentially a, a, di a completely different currency that might be alien to them in this first uh, point. But actually, I'm going to use my dollar. Oh, it's a it's an interface. I I'm seeing that this is a dollar. I'm seeing this as a euro, and I am going to purchase a treasury, some equity. But it's just all powered by the blockchain. I think that's where we have to get to as an industry, rather than like sort of. Um, presenting some, uh, somebody who might not have as much financial knowledge or, or know-how around technology to go, okay, like, what do I need to do here next? So that's for, that's for me where I see it, it really going, connecting all of you. And the best trend that I'm seeing so far is protocols that are connecting crypto, stablecoin, a return to traditional assets in the market. And I think Maple have done a, a great job in doing that with trade invoice financing. But there's so many others that are starting to do this now. Interesting. Uh, so you have a few times, guys, uh, to talk about a better regulation in order to create the, the safe 
ecosystem context to see more institutional investors with Web3 stronger together. We, we are not here to propose any regulation, but also proposing to improve our uh, ecosystem from inside based on our uh, personal uh, values and also our behavior. When we talk about uh, regulation, I haven't I've often asked, I, I'm not sure if it will change radically the behavior of the people who don't want to respect anything. And nobody, for me, the, the, the consequence of uh, Luna collapse or FTX, I'm not sure that uh, a strong regulation could change anything. It's based on the human behavior, but I can understand that for institutional, it's it's needed to have a clear, let's say, uh, framework to try to escape this. But what do you think? What is your pers personal point of view about how the ecosystem try to auto-regulate itself? Someone has a point of view about it? Yeah, Kirill? Yes, as I'm faced, uh 70% with uh, venture capital, with private equity, with invest bankers, with in institutional clients, I need to be at the part of the boat. So it means that I need to know regulatory, uh, regulatory I need to know the investment framework. For example, uh, if I had a deal with institutional investors, for example, with invest banker, they give me a loan. So I covered that loan officially through license, through crypto license. I transfer money to money service, uh, business license to the verified QVC partner who transfer it to crypto. And then I invest in Web3, I invest in liquidity pools, I do trading, wherever. Once I generate commissions, once I generate uh, the profit, which I prove to institutional investors, I return it back. Uh, institutional investor doesn't care about Web3 at all. They care about profits and they care about uh, security. So, for example, if you are not secure, if you are not back up your uh, use cases by real assets, it's really hard to sell your solution. For example, in our case, we secure our assets 50% by real estate. So we get a loan, we back up that loan by real estate. If something uh, goes wrong, the investor, they have an official document where we could sell those assets and, and at least return 50% on, on, on investments. So this is the, the reality. As I said at the beginning, everybody should do their stuff. DeFi is just back-end technology. So we uh, we are technical guys. We understand how it works, but but for end customers, they are not care. We are in finance world. They are in some regulated world, and it's never change. In in one day, when government will connect uh, the value of token equally to value of contract, where will be the change? Only after it. Then I could go with my token, which gives me 10% shares of real estate. They will give me re real estate on legal basis, on loyal basis. It means in parallel, nobody will sell my real estate on physical paper written by a legal team. My token is only assets 
which I could prove that it belongs to me. Only after it, the technology will blow up immediately. It goes high rocket, sky rocket to the moon or whatever. Only after this. Right now, we should merge centralized uh, finance with decentralized finance. We should work uh, and we should know all regulatory from one side and all technology and some bag bugs or whatever backend problems on other side. And we should secure the assets. It's an uh, interesting point and uh, uh, I hear that it's equal uh, uh, in me. I mean, I often talk about uh, coexistence and cooperation. I don't think that we will have uh, one relating or replacing another one. I think it will be a combination of, of both. What What is your point of view, uh, Karen? Yeah, so I have to agree with you. I think DeFi won't uh, end banking because banks aren't stupid <laughs> and they catch on to new technology and they are they have dedicated teams who do monitor, you know, fintech. But on the other hand, I believe that banks are kind of stuck in the legacy operations that they've had in place for so long that it's kind of, you know, impervious. They are susceptible to being disrupted by even the most simple fintech. But yeah, I think that DeFi applications will disrupt their traditional space, but I think that they will kind of work hand in hand together. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, th I think how FinTech picked off features that opened doors to all of these apps that we have, like e-banking, and then that kind of garnered millions of customers. I think DeFi will evolve in the same way. They will find a way to coexist. So, yeah, I mean, I think we can already see that, you know, banks are taking note and traditional finance are, you know, uh, they are paying attention to what is happening in DeFi. So I think that it will just coexist. So uh, if I summarize, clear regulation and a strong cooperation between institutional actors and the uh, DeFi one. Uh, Kevin, your, your last, last word, we, we are close to end this uh, debate. It's really interesting to get all your point of view. So the next big step, how we contribute rather than facing a regulation coming, how could we contribute to define, to design this regulation and what should we do to engage a better cooperation, a co-creation of, of what will be the, the future of finance, a combination of uh, traditional finance and, and, and DeFi? Uh, that's a good question. And uh, I would say it has a lot of, uh, let's say, angles, uh, angles that you could actually look at it. Basically, when it comes to regulatory frameworks, changes or when we talk about disruption, these kind of things take time. Right, especially when our, our, when there are already systems in place that work in general. Traditional finance works. It's just not uh, somewhat works, right? But it's just not very efficient. And I would say as long as these new fintechs, um, and I agree with everyone here on that point, don't actually are a threat to these big, big institutional institutions, which as Kevin said, are investing and actually going into that space to some extent as well, right? There won't be much change, right? I think, as Kirill also said, 
these kind of things will move closer together, right? We won't have something like full decentralization, trustlessness, whatever uh, we actually originally wanted. And we won't have or won't keep that traditional system that we have right now. Just takes some time. It takes the regulatory framework, which will, uh, of course, be built upon failures that we have, FTX and Luna and co, but also on good use cases that are not crashing down to earth, right? And uh, billions of funds uh, are vanishing. So I guess at some point, or I hope at some point, regulators will or are, are already getting a better understanding of this technology and are able to regulate it in a way that it's beneficial for them, for the economy, and also, of course, in the end for banks, because as Kevin said, they are not stupid and they will highly likely uh, continue to exist. That would be my take. Thank you. Thank you, uh, giving Michael. Yeah, for me, it's intergenerational change. Unfortunately, we will not be the main beneficiaries of this new DeFi world that we're, we're, that we're moving towards. And I completely agree with Karen. We will still have the JPMs, the cities, the Goldman Sachs of the world, but it will be a different, it will be a different entity. It'll be a different uh, beast in compared to its current form. And um, essentially, I, I see it as a slow drift to a pure decentralized world. And this is why I believe in the, in the, in the short run and the medium run that institutions, centralized institutions will, will remain uh, and act as the gateway to help accelerate the use of the potential that blockchain technology offers for the world. And you can really look at some of like key institution sort of like examples. I mean, think about Think about the institution of democracy. And originally we had uh, decision-making bodies centralized in essentially the words of a, of a royal or of the aristocracy. And it would have been unfathomable probably a thousand years ago, like from a, even when we, uh, from going from that model to like a one, one person, one vote, even though the ideal existed from ancient times, we've come along so way. Uh, so not now that we've done that with political uh, values, we can also do it with financials. So I do see uh, a, a point in the future where we would remove essentially the need for trusted centra uh, centralized parties to be able to manage our financial affairs and that we can transition to a trustless, uh, a trustless state. Thank you for, for sharing uh, your, your, your vision, uh, Michael. Kirill, the last word. Uh, yes, thank you guys. Let me summarize from a VC perspective and uh, merging centralized with decentralized. Uh, for investors, for classical investors, there are two key points. Where the money comes from and uh, how you generate uh, uh, profit and uh, how you further use, use it in, in your DeFi ecosystem. If you verify your official profit by official tools, for example, I purchase currency on uh, exchange, I pass KYC, this is how initial money comes from, then I start doing trading, DeFi, whatever, then I return it back, withdraw it to my bank account, fix the uh, tax profit, it will go smooth and it will go uh, fast to the, uh, to, to the market. If you do any, any stuff 
it's which are undercover it's really hard to prove that you money are white this is not a scam this is not a money lo money laundry or whatever try to be a step ahead of the system and everything will be good for you and for market and for future growth thank you guys thank thanks to you again and Gaian, the last one. Any, um, the last word. Well, I'm just really excited to see what happens in DeFi this year uh, specifically. I know that uh, it's been really a prolonged bear market. I think there's been a lot of damage done to consumer trust in crypto assets. I think we've seen that it's hurt a lot of businesses, big and small. But I think there is a silver lining because despite the fact that there is negative starting in crypto today i think in the aftermath of all of these dramatic uh centralized finance explosions i think that that next time that users decide to enter this space they're going to think twice about trusting a cfi exchange and they will instead maybe opt to try out decentralized protocols so i'm optimistic thanks to thanks to you guys uh, karen michael uh, kirill and uh, Kevin, it was a really uh, exciting discussion, really interesting to, to get your different point of view. I see that uh, we have a kind of consensus saying it's absolutely needed to have clear regulation if we want to see uh, uh, institutional uh, actors uh, uh, joining and taking part of uh, the DeFi uh, emergence. And uh, uh, what I keep in mind also, it's about cooperation, not uh, trying to totally uh, delete the existing system and uh, finally it will take uh, some time uh, we have to be, be patient uh, the to the moon boys uh, will be a bit uh, disappointed maybe but let's keep building together thanks a lot uh, thanks again for joining this uh, first uh, web free stronger together uh, virtual summit and see you soon uh, guys take care Bye -bye. thank you thanks thanks uh, Thanks again to our guests and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks also to the Barium Music team for providing their music. You can check them out on barriammusic.com. All of the supporting information is on our website, blockchainrecorded.com. You can listen to us on Google, Apple, and Amazon podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter and YouTube, where we are super grateful for your support. Stay tuned for our next episode.